Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Bob Garfield, and this is an OTM Podcast Extra. Australia's deadly wildfires have been burning since September, and they're expected to go on for weeks, if not months. More than 25 million acres have burned. That's roughly the size of West Virginia. And as of this recording, 28 people have died. An estimated 1 billion animals have perished, and it may be that entire species have been doomed. Hundreds of thousands of people have been forced to evacuate, and roughly 2,000 homes have been destroyed. There have been months of drought and record-breaking temperatures, and summer is not close to being over. Under blood-red skies and choking smoke, an apocalyptic scene of never-ending fire. This is the largest peacetime evacuation in the country's history. But there's another damaging plague that's been spreading quickly across Australia. Conservative media outlets, many owned by Rupert Murdoch, have been misrepresenting the cause of the fires and fiercely attacking those who blame the main culprit, climate change, in creating conditions for the inferno. Damien Cave is the New York Times Bureau Chief in Sydney, and he recently wrote about Australia's bushfire disinformation campaign. He spoke to us from Gundagai, Australia, about four hours or so southwest of Sydney. And as he's been reporting, some towns that have already been burned are actually facing the threat of more blazes. You see houses burned to the ground right next to houses that are fine. You know, you see fields completely blackened that run right up to the door of a house, and for some reason the fire stops there. So for a lot of people, I think it feels kind of arbitrary, and they feel like the fire is just coming for them, and it's not finished until the fires are really out. Some of these backyards of people, there's, you know, giant tree stumps that are still burning. You know, you scratch the ground and a fire pops up, you know. So it's just an ongoing issue. You know, yesterday I was with a bunch of firefighters who were racing around town, putting out small fires because people were calling and saying, hey, listen, you know, my neighbor's house burned down a day after the fire came through. And now this log is burning in my backyard. Do you make sure that it's not going to burn my house down? So it does feel kind of like an ever-present threat. And your story in the New York Times suggests that basically Rupert Murdoch fiddles while Australia burns. Uh, On New Year's, for example, when the fires were page one coverage just about everywhere in the world, uh, the Australian covered what? Well, so this is, it was actually January 2nd, which is even worse because the fires had already shown how damaging they were. And there was no photo on the front page. And the lead story was about a potential alcohol ban. And so, you know, this is one of the examples of many in which it's not that it's not necessarily covered. It's that it's covered in a certain way and it's buried, you know, compared to other things that are deemed more important. Um, so, yeah, that's one example of many. One of the narratives that shows up in the Murdoch properties, namely that this is no worse than usual. We have fires every summer. The point here is that in Australia, we have always faced catastrophic fire days and deadly bushfires, and we will always face catastrophic fire conditions and bushfires in the summer in the future. That's just a lie. But it's a lie that that won't die. No, it's true. I mean, I, I spoke to a, a News Corp columnist, and, and he said to me, you know, listen, I'm just trying to show a little bit of the history. Um, and then I went to a scientist who said, this is just a, a complete misinterpretation of how history works. And if you look at the, the science, if you look at 
the amount of area burned, if you look at the degree to which areas are vulnerable, the intensity of the fires, this is unlike anything that's been seen before. You've got subtropical rainforests that are burning for places that have never burned before that are so dried out that they're burning again. You know, a lot of people in Australia are asking, well, why hasn't the government tackled this? And when they start to think about the reasons, one of the things they look to is is the Murdoch media. And they see or they believe that that conservative media has kind of given the politics a safe harbor to not do anything. For more than 10 years, scientists in Australia have been saying the fires are going to get more intense. They're going to burn more areas. You know, what we're seeing now has been predicted for a long time. And I think that's what's frustrating a lot of people with how the Murdoch press is covering it, because this was information that was known and expected in the scientific community for more than a decade. Well, hold that thought. Um, There's a second claim that the conservative media uh, keep pushing, and that is that, uh, not climate, arson, arson. There are calls for significant research into the minds of arsonists to boost our understanding of the condition and help prevent fires from being deliberately lit. New South Wales police could soon charge more than a dozen suspected arsonists responsible for deliberately lighting bushfires across the state. At least 56 people have been charged or cautioned with 71 bushfire-related offences. I mean, the arson talk has become uh, a more vocal narrative in the conservative media, you know, at the same time as there's this, you know, other crazy disinformation campaign, which we'll get into. But but when you look at the numbers, you know, in, in Australia right now, there's more than 150 fires that are burning. The number of people that have been charged with arson that may have nothing to do with the fires is around 24. And so, you know, the number of lightning strikes, which is a pretty rare occurrence, far outnumbers the number of cases involving arson. And so, you know, the issue, again, is one of prioritization and emphasis. And, you know, it's quite clear that when you put a giant story in the paper that says, you know, arson crackdown, you're signaling to the reader that this is supposed to be the thing you should be angry about. And so it's what many critics would say, just a clear act of deflection to try and keep people away from climate change. Now, we've been putting clips of our Australia coverage on the BBC News YouTube channel on Twitter, too. And we keep getting messages from people claiming the story of these fires isn't climate change, it's arson. Here's an example of someone taking up the issue, saying it's not dozens of firebugs, it's hundreds. Climate activists are lighting fires in a desperate bid to amp up climate change fear. And we know that the hashtag arson emergency is being widely used. This gets to the misinformation or disinformation campaign you alluded to a moment ago. You spoke to a guy named Timothy Graham from the Queensland Institute of Technology who told you what? So he told me that there was what appears to be a coordinated campaign using the phrase arson emergency, which is in contrast to climate emergency, um, to blame the bushfires on arson. And, you know, this intersects, not surprisingly, perhaps, with the emphasis of the conservative media. So you have hundreds of tweets that appear to come from either bots or trolls that are dominating the major hashtags around the bushfires. And so, you know, the conversation is basically being dirtied and muddied by a whole bunch of people and and potentially bots who are paid to muddy the waters. And it just happens to be a subject that also aligns with the conservative media. And a lot of these bots and trolls are accounts that clearly had been supporting, you know, conspiracy theories that were in favor for Donald Trump, that, you know, were pro-Brexit. There's a third counter-narrative thread, and that's that uh, green radicals are themselves getting in the way of fire mitigation initiatives like controlled burns that the tree huggers are actually exacerbating the conditions that feed the flames. Is there anything to that? 
You know, it, it's it's interesting. And in, when you're driving through, you know, national forests here, you see a lot of fuel on the ground, and so it, it it works from almost a visual perspective as an argument. But the problem is that it's actually very hard to do back burning because of climate change. And so the irony is that the weather patterns have made it so difficult to find the exact right time because if you do it when it's too dry, then it burns out of control and creates a bushfire. If you do it when it's too wet and you have extreme you know, weather events around rain, it doesn't work. Look, it's very clear and any fire service will tell you that the windows for hazard reduction through the winter are getting narrower and narrower. And so the firefighters I've been talking to have been saying, you know, it's not necessarily that this is a policy issue. It's just that it's a climate issue. And then you're often trying to do this with volunteer firefighters who can only do it on weekends. So you also have to time it, you know, quite perfectly, really, <laughs> to do this. It's a logistical challenge, much more than it is a problem from the greeny left. There was an Australian Broadcasting Corporation program, ABC, they call it down under, uh, Media Watch. And it did a piece about the denialism. And they filmed a press conference of 23 former fire chiefs, you know, not ivory tower people, but the people who are on the front lines fighting the flames, demanding action on climate change. Bushfires are a symptom of climate change. I've had 39 years of Tasmania Fire Service, and I didn't uh, um, see too many dry lightning strikes earlier on in my career. But now, and due to climate change, we're seeing this as a regular event. Now, a slight lift in temperature overall, average temperature, means the extremes are more extreme. The scientists are very clear, their numbers are very clear, more days of very high fire danger and above. And this was the theme in the Daily Telegraph, Sky News, the Courier Mail, the Herald Sun. Climate change isn't the cause of these bushfires. But there's no doubt, and I'm not alone here, that two decades plus of climate change activism is making them worse. The bushfire and climate change debate. It's dumb, it's reckless, it's offensive. We know that, but the Greens and others, so many cheerleaders in the media, are still doubling down on this stuff. There are, for instance, the retired fire chiefs today who actually claimed, actually claimed, forget blaming the fierceness of the fires on the fact that not enough burning off was done to keep fuel levels in the bush under control. No, 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 no. The real problem, it seems, was that the Morrison government hadn't magically turned down the world's temperature by cutting Australia's tiny emissions. Conservative publications all, but not fringe outlets, correct? No, that's, that's exactly right. And this sort of is part of the, the playbook that a lot of people criticize, is that anything that touches the left is somehow so tainted and poisoned that you shouldn't have to listen to it. So it's a way to dismiss all the facts and research and all the experience of these guys, which is decades of experience, and just say, oh, they're associated with someone on the left, so you don't have to pay attention to them. Um, but in fact, you know, I've talked to these guys too, and they're extremely knowledgeable. And this is a conclusion that they've come to through decades of on-the-ground firefighting. They're not out there banging the drum and saying, hey, we have to sack the prime minister. They're saying, hey, I'd like to sit down with the prime minister and talk this through. And even that, you know, for some, some for parts of the Murdoch press and parts of the conservative right, is, is too much. As you know only too well, Damien, here in the USA, uh, various Rupert Murdoch properties, Fox News Channel, the New York Post, Wall Street Journal, at least the editorial page, are very much in sync, often in league with the Trump administration. Fox News is a de facto state TV for Trump. Is there a parallel situation there with Prime Minister Scott Morrison? 
you know, there, there is increasingly a parallel situation. And this is what people are starting to really get worried about, is instead of acting as uh, an accountability press with someone like Scott Morrison, they're defending him to the point that is, you know, runs counter to the public's desire. So the biggest example with the bushfires was when Scott Morrison kind of disappeared in December and went to Hawaii for a vacation. Find the criticism of the Prime Minister in recent days way over the top. I'm referring to the flogging he's copping right now, especially on social media this week, for taking a holiday. And maybe it's because he's gone on a holiday to Hawaii. I don't know. And many people said this was outrageous. And the Australian defended him you know, for this. And I know I was on a, on a radio show with one of their editors who said, oh, well, he's allowed to take a vacation. And there's basically a denial that these bushfires were actually a signature event and an inflection point for the country. And so this combination of treating them as just, oh, just another tragedy and the need to protect the prime minister basically forced or, or allowed both the media and the government to really underplay and, and, and misunderstand the consequences of what's been going on. And so that's what a lot of people are concerned about is that the, the lackluster response of government is intimately tied to the protection of the prime minister by the conservative media. As we're having this conversation, uh, Saturday morning, your time, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald has, has just published a story quoting an email from uh, a middle manager in the News Corp uh, staff in Australia uh, saying that uh, it is, quote, unconscionable to continue working for this company. Is this apt to make a splash? It, it is already making a splash for sure. This came in response to an effort by the company to raise money for the bushfire victims and for bushfire firefighters. And it just was too much for this particular employee, this hypocrisy of saying, oh, we really care about this issue without any connection to the coverage, which has diminished, you know, what this person obviously believes is the root cause, which is climate change. And so it's pretty stunning. Like I said, there's just more intensity of frustration with Murdoch. I mean, Australia knows Murdoch better than anyone. This is where he's from. But it does feel like there's a bit of a turning point in terms of the attitude towards what he's pushing here. Even before the fires, the Australians considered climate change one of the most important issues and that they wanted their government to do more about it. The polls are, are you know, two-thirds of the country believes that. And so there is a clear consensus around what needs to be done and an understanding of the science around the general public. The issue is in the last election, which Scott Morrison won, basically running against doing more for climate change, is that for a lot of people, climate change wasn't necessarily their top voting priority. And so, you know, the question now is with the fires and the smoke that's been hanging over Sydney all summer and in Canberra as well, you know, will the public actually put climate change higher on its list, on its agenda, so that they don't just know and demand some action from government, but they're actually making election decisions driven by that belief? And so, you know, that's the, the question that I think we're still trying to answer is what's the long-term impact of these fires on the way Australians process climate change politically? It wasn't too hard to understand how maybe a decade ago climate denialism would exist. The science was plain, but it was still somewhat abstract. The threat may have seemed uh, theoretical and, and remote to those whose lives and livelihoods revolve around a carbon economy and culture. And the suspicion sort of fits snugly into general conservative mistrust of experts and elites and, uh, and liberal scolds. But my God, the Australian continent, the size of the lower 48 United States, uh, is in a ring of fire, a ring of freaking fire. How, how, 
how is it possible for Murdoch and the rest of the conservative press and the prime minister to stake out these positions? And, and how in the world do they retain any legitimacy with, with the audience and the electorate? How? You know, it's a very good question. You'll have to ask Mr. Murdoch. I'm, I'm not sure he's available. I think he's in the Caribbean at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I do think that there is, you know, there is a constituency still for this information and for this way of looking at things. Because, you know, if you like the status quo, if the status quo serves you well because, you know, you own a coal company or you're close to government, then, you know, you don't want things to change. And so, you know, I do think that that sort of kind of human nature need to not change things is a powerful force. There are still people who are persuaded by the doubt, um, you know, who are persuaded by the argument that, oh, there's always been fires, or, you yeah, blame the greeny lefties because we don't like them anyways, and they're not like us. And so, you know, there are just parts of, uh, of the way people process information that, that make this still work for a very large community of people in Australia still. The other thing that I think you notice is that the debate and the political divisions around this kind of almost put climate change aside as this, like, toxic, volatile thing. There's a lot of people who, in these small towns, when I talk to them about this stuff, they don't really want to talk about climate change. So they just don't want to get into this fight and this argument. And so that's another thing, I think, that the way that this has been covered affects the public debate, is that people don't engage with it as deeply as they would if there was more consensus. So the conversation is still stuck at this place of, well, well, do we believe this, as opposed to, what the hell do we do about it, and we need to do something now. Damien, thank you very much. Thank you. Damien Cave is the New York Times Bureau Chief in Sydney, Australia. He recently wrote about how Rupert Murdoch is influencing Australia's bushfire debate. For this week's Pod Extra, OTM listeners, if you haven't already, please do sign up for our awesome newsletter, uh, especially this week, but I'm pretty sure they're plugging my new book. Go to onthemedia.org slash newsletter. You will not be sorry. See you Friday.